a record of the delightful piece they're going to play this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Hey everyone, welcome to the pilot episode and first one of Requiem Radio. You have myself, Solar Requiem, and one of my close friends here, Hazy Dialects. He's also going to be a co-host of this one, so it's both of our brainchild right now. And right now we're just talking, sky's the limit, but... Yo, um, I'm Hazy Dialects. I'm... Uh... I would call myself like a pretty much a avid debater. I love a passionate politics. And uh, I met this uh, young chap, uh, a dope um, person who uh, really has a, a passionate uh, mind for politics and uh, collecting a um, interesting collected of people. So uh, I really do enjoy uh, chatting with this individual. And uh, it seemed to just make sense due to our chemistry and our interesting uh, back and forth that we do a little bit of uh, podcasting. So uh, today's the... Uh, pilot episode you know to work out all the kinks and uh to like let all the slurs out before radio actually uh is able to confiscate this you know we can we can, we can uh you know cut all the fat out and, yeah and ensure that no one gets a dox so no i remember what's it called like um Suffice mainly use uh, twitter for a good portion of my time and twitter has a feature called twitter spaces for people who don't know or don't use that app and you usually meet the craziest people and that could be a very good thing and a very bad thing Thankfully for Hazy that day, he was a fucking giga Chad coming in there having the most base takes. I'm like, all right, I don't agree with this guy and everything, but I like what he's saying. And then, you know, I thought to myself after being in a few spaces together, us, you know, having pretty different views, but still bouncing back and forth and like actually challenging each other's ideas and stuff. I thought, you know what? Hey, why not make a shot? And I like hit him up. And I was like, hey, man, you want to like do a podcast? I know it sounds crazy. So it. Got us a bit minute here of a lot of like tweaks and scheduling, but I'm finally glad we're able to get the first one knocked out, you know? Absolutely. And um, for me, what was unique about it, uh, I suppose the best way to go about this is that we're going to be talking about how we met. Um, I'm an avid user of uh, Twitter in the sense of like, I just enjoy searching out discourse and seeking out whatever someone's discussing and talking about. And um, I know a couple of avid debaters since um, to me, the idea of like really putting out the foundation of like your core beliefs and values is always like something I'm extremely concerned about since it seems as though people get stubbed on the most fundamental questions you should have been asking yourself if you're doing any sort of rigorous um, evaluations of your beliefs as to why you should hold them and the importance of holding them. I saw these guys chatting up in a Twitter space and I decided just to join and it felt as though um, both um, it felt as though communication had been all but eroded and it just kind of became a conversation of like who can get a dunk on who and I was like I see pretty, I, I, to my uh, personal opinion, I saw a lot of, like, really intelligent people there. I saw like, a lot. And I it could, and obviously, debates are kind of like WWE at time periods for some people. They're like, it's about the own, it's about the pwn, you know, get it, get on, loser. Prepare to be um, shot into the stratosphere where all my homies will call you an uh, intellectual inbred. But I was like, let's have a conversation and let me try to, like, be as shared as possible as to what Thank people mean. That. You, let's see if, like, you steered that ship like, in the right direction, so... Like 
Yeah, I like to host like professionalized, organized debate, but that space wasn't really a room for that. That was just a chill space. And of course, I have a lot of politically charged people who are very passionate about what they say. And it's kind of like friend group A met friend group B. And then they're both like solo. Why are you hanging out with these losers? I'm like, look, man, I don't know. It's like, it's not like that. And then I just had them arguing. And then you came in and you're like a third party. And I was like, great. Like, this guy just came in my space. And then he's probably going to think I'm a crazy person, like letting these people pop off. But you did the opposite. You're like, all right, let me hop in there and like help out and shit like that. But. Yeah, because I really saw like the vision. Like, it's, it's to me. Um, there's two, um, operations that debate serves personally for me is that like, either one, I have like a very strong position about something and I like believe I'm like adamantly correct about it, but also I find it interesting to do debate since like essentially for the purposes of like finding out what is the fundamentals of what someone believes is saying. And I like, like picking at that. So I don't believe, uh, debate sometimes is, uh, uh, the, all the most productive towards that nature, but ultimately, like when I saw that ca- occurring, I was like, I really wanted to like get to the fundamentals of some people were saying. For a, a quick example of this, um, someone was just discussing to me about like red pill beliefs and how like um, a woman loves like the children and like a man's job is to be altruistic in the sense that he is to provide for the family and to ensure his offspring um, comes of age. And um, that is the essence of what it means to be a man. And to me, um, it felt a bit cold in the sense of like the relationship dynamic that exists in that um, confine. If anything, it feels purely transactional. And I can't imagine as a man giving up all my agency as well as my resources for something that feels um, divorced of any sort of like um, emotion or like affection for the significant other that I decided to commit the rest of my life to. So. Uh, I, I kind of prodded them on like what did he mean when he said like the sacrifice and like um, could you aspire other people to do this with such a cold inflection upon like the ultimate goal as to what man like you know um, basically divorce yeah like, and like, it made um, me think too like, to, like I forgot who said this I mean? but they were talking about how debates could go in almost two directions where someone could win the debate but they'll lose the audience and like. It's one of those things and like one of the issues I like said earlier, the reason I'm doing Absolutely. debates online is because I'm always saying to myself, like, okay, I grew up on that, you know, anti SJW era stuff where it's like everyone like dunking on the you know, be like SJW gets owned compilation, stuff like that. And then I had like this belief in my head for a long time, like, yeah, like there's no way these people are like logical or sane, they're all idiots, they're all crazy. And then um time passes by and then you see the birth of BreadTube on YouTube, which is a bunch of collective leftist people. And then they just start doing the reverse, and then they're doing everything to the left, where they're, I mean, the right, where they're clipping them, where it's like a clip of some fat dude, you know, who's screaming at the top of his lungs that he's going to kill someone. And then, like, the person will be like, aha, see, this is what all right-wing people are like. And it kind of dawned on me then, and I wish it did earlier, but I'm like, all right, yeah, like, a lot of these people, their styles and tactics of debate, they could, you could argue, quote-unquote, technically win the debate. But it's like you lose the audience. Why? Because everyone's going to leave the room thinking like, wow, that guy was an asshole. Like, sure, he could like talk fast or argue quick. But it's like, whatever. It's almost like, you know, Ben Shapiro debating like college kids, basically. It's like, yeah, you beat a bunch of college kids on something. Big whoop. Like, you know what I mean? It's not to sound condescending because props to him going out there and, you know, just 
doing that in the first place. But at the same time, like it'd be better if like on the get go, he tried to do a more academic approach. If that makes any sense, and go against people who are like also well educated on topic of different views. But I get what you mean, and I think this is like the best way to like. Um divulge as to uh political like origins for me um it, it got really um inspired um at least my fascination in terms of like um politics for the most part i think everyone sort of had like a really intense political awakening um uh during the election phase of like hillary clinton and like uh, Joe Biden, uh, not Joe Biden, but Donald Trump. I think to the point it became so pervasive that you had people like um, Casey Neistat, like uh, 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 encouraging so many um, in the who were apolitical in nature of the content to aspire to make content directly pointing out to who they would have like voted for and what they would have done. And I saw a lot of supposedly skeptics, and I had. Um, this is before I, I had any like in-depth understanding of skepticism, like the skeptic community, since they were like more like um, um, atheists for the most part, like doing debunk videos on atheism. But in terms of like this more pop um, cultural uh, polit political um, version of things, that was like a deviation of like Gamergate that was about journalism, and eventually became more about conservative beliefs. At some point, um, they eventually um, hit their. Um, the, the explosion in terms of popularity right around the time period when there was almost absolutely no doubt in the social zygotes that Donald Trump shouldn't have won. So there was a lot of people that became um, surprised about the status quo since, for the most part, a lot of kids at that time period had grown up with um, Obama, um, a lot of um, democratic like policies and ideas. So it almost became inconceivable for most people to believe that the status quo had been changing so much at that point. So to me, it became fascinating to me to understand how that had occurred and what were people saying online. I became enamored with the community of skeptic community as to this divorce of like enforcing or encouraging people to be political when they didn't feel the need to. It only came to a head that I became disenfranchised with the community when it came to consistency in terms of like how should we uphold these beliefs. Because at some points people would say things of the nature of, oh, nothing is, it needs to be inherently political. Um, everyone has their own ideas and you should leave them alone to do that, correct? But at the same time, there would be people who were political, who, who were choosing to be political, that they were attacking for being political. So I started to realize as you start to tease out these little ideas, like, okay, so it's not just you using the phrase, people have rights to their political opinions as a way to defend more conservative beliefs. But that's not really what broke me in terms of like what happened. I think it was rage um, um, during the storm or rage after the storm, who unironically brought race realism to the community. A community that advocated sincerely that there was no racist inclination of amongst all the popular peers, and for someone to unironically bring that forth, but like this time, it's scientifical and also like championing the idea that she's a patriot despite the fact that she did not live in the states. You know, gotta love that um sort of uh you know. Was this individual you said? What was her name again? That term would have become ubiquitous. I never heard of them before. I, mean, I need to look them up afterwards. Maybe I just missed them when I was, I don't know, like I said, I was young too. <laughs> she, after the storm, 
Is it kind of like Hunter Avalon, where he used to be like right wing, and then the moment he had a kid, he just turned left wing? Uh, no. Rage of the Stone was one of the few um, um, who had a short-lived um, existence in the anti-SCW community, in which her first episodes were just about her, like, identitarianism, you know, what it means to be a patriot, and uh, also promoted race realism. Like, she was my first exposure to race realism. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even get it stuff until we got that whole, like, like, what's his name, Stefan <laughs> Molyneux and stuff like that, because... Yeah, that guy was, yeah, I don't know. Step he was smoking off, something. Yeah. I was like, but what's it called? Yeah, no, for me, I'd have to say, like, my family, um, so we're first-generation American. Um, so m- most of my family's from Cuba coming over here. And all I remember as a little kid growing up, you know, was, like, my grandparents or great-grandparents making snarky remarks about, you know, oh, communism, socialism, all these things, like, up and down the roof. And I was a little kid. I didn't know what any of these things meant i was just like ingrained in my psyche like anytime someone uses word they're you know bad and it's kind of like you know almost like red scare fear still on them from like what they had to like go through in cuba and like when i got older you know Mm -hmm. i tried to just like stay out of politics because i saw how much it absorbed my family where they couldn't go one conversation about talking about it especially my older ones and i had an incident at high school where a kid basically i was running track at pe and the kid um i was around my buddy and we heard an ambulance come by and i couldn't tell if it was an ambulance or a cop car and i asked him I was like you think that was you know a cop and the guy behind me ended up hearing that and made a post being like oh yeah this person sola is like racist he says he's gonna call the cops on me and i was like bro i didn't even know you were fucking behind me like what do you mean and then that was a pretty heavy stigma on me, so I thought to myself, you know, like, I tried to pull the, like, oh, no, I like everything. He's like, no, I'm on your guys' team, but they didn't give a fuck. He's like, didn't care. It was like throwing a chunk of meat into a piranha pit, basically. Like, there was no coming out of that. So I thought to myself, fuck it. If they want to see that, then I'll give them that. And then I got really into, you know, like, the whole Ben Shapiro videos where I just, like, copy-paste arguments and stuff like that. And then, yeah. Yeah, Milton, um, I would... To add on to what you were saying, I think um, I think one thing that really um, makes people disenfranchised with like uh, common poli- common parliaments in terms of like political discourses, the uh, and I don't necessarily believe everyone's doing it intentionally or maliciously, but it's that idea of like um, um, yeah, and testing, you know, in I mean? a weird way, it's kind of like the <laughs> meme of like who created you, right. and then the responses you did. That's in a way like because after. Ben Shapiro, you know, I got in arguments with people at, like, you know, local clubs at school. I got on, like, you know, online Instagram burner account at the age of, like, you know, 15, 14. And <laughs> I remember, you know, thinking I did so good. I was like, yeah, I just 1352 them. And I never recovered from that. I was like, I was like, I literally had the, you know, I literally had the mindset, you know, another libtard owned. They just don't know facts or statistics. And then I just realized, like, huh. Even though I believe I'm right, no one likes me. And then it was like type thing, you know, and then it was like that dawn of realization, like, okay, going back to what I said earlier, you can win a debate, but if you it doesn't mean shit if you don't win win people over. But eventually <laughs> Yeah, I, I noticed that like to agree with what you're saying here, um, I noticed that the corn plays a heavy, like heavy emphasis. Like I a, a very logical bro for like a long period of time, I started to realize how much um just oh, the quorum, like plays into like a debate. 
like some I, I, like four, like I, almost like three years ago i was like very i'm so glad i got over like a an aggro arc i had for a while back people were like yeah you're pretty decent at the base but like you can't come across as like a jerk <laughs> I know, like, and then, like, there's a lot of, like, leftist away. dudes who I listen to them and when they debate in there. That's kind of like what I was saying to you earlier, like, the whole bread tube arc where it's just people who are like, oh, you're fucking stupid. You don't know what this, like, very niche-specific, like, 1700s philosophical term means. And then they'll, like, gish gallop and shotgun you, like, philosophical terms. And I'll listen to these debates. I'm like, okay, so this is literally a semantic game to who knows the most semantics and who could crack first and, like, admit they don't know what it means. And then the other person just, like, basically tells the audience, like, behold, this guy's an idiot. Why is he even on stage with me? And it was, like, completely slandered. And I'm like, wow, like, that was a debate? Like, that was, I don't know. <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of hilarious because someone's like, well, if you don't know 13 pieces of, um, you know, the most fascinating thing I actually, like, of, like, the most philosoph philosophical, like, teachers, I honestly, honestly think they're, like, a rare breed. Um, there's some people who I think have, like, genuine literature, like, interest and um, abilities to engage in a way that's, like, fulfilling, as in they just don't reiterate a page or an excerpt from a book of ph philosophy. And I'm like, okay, that, does, that doesn't really tell me anything about your understanding of the literature that you just wrote, read to me. You're like, do you know Chomsky? I'm like, okay, say that. Let's, let's even accept that I, if I don't, let's just... Like, explain to me your position while using Chomsky's readings. Like, don't just, like, use the barrier of inaccessibility as a way to, like, hold that like, over someone's head. And I'm glad I never did that, but I thought it was, like, really... Like, I don't know, like, you called like, someone out on that, because um, you were in our group chat a while ago. We had a communist guy in there, and then someone asked him, like, a question, and then the communists were like, LARP, LOL, read theory, and then they sent, like, a PDF on it. Yeah, this like a PDF page oh book. He's like, your oh. answer is in here, and then you're like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Like, and I was like laughing at that because I was like, if it was anyone else but Hazy to call him out in that bullshit, he would have just been like, lol, another you know, right, rightoid owns. But I was like, dude, come on, like, like in any situation, like in, in actual academics and actual literature, literature and like history or any teacher, if you told them just read a book, they would have just failed you. Yeah, you're not even essay and then it's still like botched and shit and your teacher like, where the fuck are you getting these sources? Like, LOL, you should read a book, but like teacher. Then they'd be like, okay, that's cute, F. And then you just failed the class. Yes. Any other circumstance, they would just fail your ass. Like, alright, so you're failing. Uh, if anything, the, um, Sourcing in that nature demonstrates to me that you do not understand what you read. Even if, let's say, did you did read it, if, to me, all of you told me is that I didn't understand anything I read. Because if you're just relying on, by default, me coming to the same conclusions or agreeing with it, because even in philosophy, there's a implicit buy-in that is required, like, for example, libertarianism requiring the um, you to believe that it is true that it exists in every man, you know? Like everyone can um, espouse to the same accolades and achievements, you have to believe in like the fundamental yeah. of the every man. You know what I mean? So like, let's say if I reject that every man, like, is, is your point made for you? Like, you just lost a debate. Like, you, it all hinges on the idea that I read what you cited me and I agree. What if I don't? Yeah, it's like I don't that, agree with your pre yeah so, presuppositions. So I was like, what's the point of this type thing? And I don't know. It's I always joke around, it's like, why well, I don't really argue anymore, because I used to when I got on Twitter, because I used to have a lot of um, friends that are, like, really communist, and I'd have fun arguing with them like that, because mm -hmm. 
when I first saw them, it was a huge culture shock because I thought, how could anyone be part of an ideology so evil that my family's nonstop been telling me about since a child? And then I'd have to go through the weeds because at first it was like, LOL, your family deserved it. They're probably rich. I'm like, you don't even know my family. Like, why are you saying like horrible things like that? And then other ones would be like, oh, all capitalists get the gulag or, you know, get hung. And I'm like, all right, these people are stupid. But to give them credit, there were some people who were actually serious and like willing to engage a conversation. And not in like a bad faith way, but in a good faith way. So how I always see bad faith and good faith is pretty simple. Bad faith means every argument they bring up about your point is going to be a straw man. Good faith means every argument they're going to bring up about your point is a steel man, where it's the most charitable point given, basically. As in, they're not suspecting you as being malicious. They're like, okay, let's take your argument at your strongest and let's go from here. That's a good faith argument. Well, like I said, you know, bad faith is let's take your argument at the weakest and I'll keep going on here. And that's something that's like always see a lot, but I, I try to do that. Um, to, hum, hum, that's an interesting perspective on what it means to be good faith or bad faith. I just want to like quickly wrap up. Oh yeah, sorry about that. Of, like getting onto that thing. Uh, in, in terms of the skeptic community, I eventually found bread too, and they were like more like I was like ah yes the the, the, the prevalence of bread as 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 a leftist this, this pleases me. Just I, I saw it just slurp up the juices. But um, one of the moments that really like spoke to me was um, a video made by Big Joe discussing the Red Pill movie and um, it was the idea that like one of the excerpts was basically talking about, uh, I had a big debate about like pedophilia and um, I think that the excerpt of that he chose for the end of his video where he essentially implies that that if Red Pillars had it their way they would essentially legalize um, pedophilia and um, not watching the Red Pill movie in of itself, I had understood the argument, but then I realized how much that one segment was kind of misrepresented, and I didn't appreciate that. So, like, again, you, 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 it's so little seeds of trust is, like, how, like, video essays might not have the biggest body of work, but I think that, culturally speaking, um, these waves occur. Like, the most unhinged individuals when the unimpeded are allowed to um, have a microphone. And then I believe that the skeptic community so there's like, hey, like let's wrangle the people in. Let's let's tard wrangle for a little bit of time. And then RedTube was basically like, hey, um, let's tard wrangle these people coming in. Because currently they're saying a lot of crazy stuff. Like um, like when Malfi Budu was making videos that were excellent and pretty decent, and then he was like I'm gonna still man the the uh, the the Jake um, you know the JQ. I'm like, all right, you're kind of losing me, but I'm gonna listen. And then he provides like one of the most <laughs> schizo posts I've ever seen. My yeah, it comes on page wearing a tinfoil hat. He has like a boot on him or some shit like that. This crazy motherfucker. And he's like, oh, no, I'm just providing a still man. And, like, the, like the rebuttal segment of his video is only a minute long. While the video, mind you, probably, I think, I believe, like, 15 or 18 minutes long is, like, the majority of that video is, like, literally providing reasons as to why the JQ makes sense. I'm like, I don't know if you think that's a still man. <laughs> I, I don't know how convincing you're He really formatted now, his like, video like, okay, so here's all the strong things. Honestly, it's pretty solid. I can't disagree with it. Okay, my rebuttal, I got nothing. It's just, I don't personally believe it, but it's a solid argument. I'm like, bro, what? What is that? That's not a steel man or rebuttal. 
I, I, I don't know who told you that definition. Who told you the definition of what a stillman is? But uh, uh, I, I, I even the proportionally speaking, Michael um, Buddha was one of the people that I thought was um, in terms of video essays was. I think very again charismatic in that way of like in, in being able to convince an audience from this very calm and like intonation uh, uh, of uh, really being very 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 easily able to discuss a subject matter without um, I don't know I, th I think I think sometimes essayists can give a sense of authority through this like very calm level-headed like uh, way of um, expressing an idea but again um, I think. Culture speaking, that's how a lot of these things happen. And even before then, uh, my culture, like my political journey, I had digested a lot of YouTube. I have, I was very much um, encouraged by these content creators to basically like get more politically active than I ever was. And I had an entire um, Twitter account devoted to that. It had around eight hundred followers for a time being, and well, where we deleted account. I self-deleted it. I, I I had I had a I had a my robot on suicide watch. I, I, I had <laughs> I had someone who had uh, information that could lead to my arrest. Uh, oh my! <laughs> no, no, no. no I'm, I understand what you mean. Like, there's been times where I would. There's been times where I'd be in some group chats and I get like really wasted or something like that. This is like a long time ago. I don't really do so much anymore. And I just post to like a safe uh, face pic by accident. And then, like the next day, I wake up like, "Oh crap!" Like, and then I like, "Please, uh, Lord, don't let any of these people hate me in the future." But <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing that's like, um, that's why I enjoy the disconnect I've always had with the internet is that like, I, some people can love and trust and be like the greatest homies you've ever met in your entire life, but like, let one fight break out and like, fuck this guy, I'm yeah. blinking. <laughs> And that's where it's annoying because people are always. I hear people joke about like um, anons on like you know Twitter, or social media, like my account or your account, and then they're like, "Oh, if you're so proud of what you're saying, why don't you show your face?" And then they're like, "Oh yeah, just show your IP while you're at too, and your address." And I'm like, "Nah, I ain't doing that, man." And then like, this man and, fired like shit. Yeah, and it's kind of like the reason I'm not doing that shit is not because I don't have enough confidence in my own beliefs. I don't trust people out there. All it takes is one crazy motherfucker to like just find everything, and, like make some bullshit lie, and I just gotta go in damage control. Like he just disappears, and you see the that all the time. <laughs> the definition of excellent argument, however, and then it's just your IP. <laughs> yeah, it's just IP address and what's it called? To I me, was what laughing. Happened, what's up? The uh, deletion happened as a byproduct of the uh, cat black and Bosch. Um, situation where I felt as though, yeah, Vosh was totally in the um, was not in the wrong in the situation since he he wanted to have a conversation with Cat Black and really was just trying to discuss how he didn't believe that black people are a monolith or you should just by default listen to black people or like the idea that like uh, black people's uh, um, conversations or penance uh, was in impregnable by like white experiences, which I just never agreed with. But I think this came to like a, a head during this discourse in which um, Voss basically just explained that he doesn't believe that you should just listen to black people's experiences just by default because then people like Candace Owens, who believes people like me, uh, uh, black Democrat, is like on the democratic plantation. So I was like, I don't agree. I, I agree with this with him. And even the weird speculation about his um, genitalia or talking about 
like uh, uh, it wasn't that sexually satisfying or gratifying. It was just weird remarks like that that I just didn't appreciate. And I brought this up, and basically, um, my followers and for some reason, this is now listen to what I said here. I want you to to, to infer to infer. I want you to use your 2000 IQ here and infer. Yes, what did I get cancer for when I said this? I said the fact of the matter that this woman, I said not the, this woman. I said the fact that this individual who's a politically very advantageous and very effective in terms of their uh, ability to produce syllogisms that people can compassionately understand and and um, um, basically empathize with would result to like physical attacks about someone's appearance. Um, understanding that there are um, social taboos. As a leftist, that you cannot entertain equally understanding how you would be socially decried for behaviors of that nature. I think that it's bad for us to abuse these um, elements, especially the speculation about someone's sexual pride in the public sphere, even if you believe that their behaviors are wrong or uncalled for in a stream that happened six months ago. Even if, the, because on one hand, we understand that Voss was just talking about. Um, um, sometimes people have like this fetish of like racism and like they entertain it, but we know that specifically in a situation, there is no, um, um, coincidence or misunderstanding as to who she's referring to here, who happens to be Vosh. And she's speculating about, she's talking about his genitalia and the, in his lack of sexual prowess in a larger scale of this nature. And I just believe that just to be, um, honestly, overstepping boundaries, especially being someone who's working in the same political spheres with the same political aspirations. With all that being said, imagine what I got canceled for. <laughs> Was it the sexual orientation part in the genitalia? Nope, I got canceled for transphobia. <laughs> Bro, what? <laughs> Bro, where? Where in that statement was transphobia? <laughs> Bro, people be making shit up now. I woke up to like 80 notifications. I was like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I even Yeah, I'm just waiting for my account to put like the most like milk toast political opinion. And then the next day, like you were canceled for, you know, I don't know, like um Mardi Gras phobia. I'm like, what the fuck's Mardi Gras phobia? Like, where is that in this statement? Like, I don't even know what that word means. Be the most people just be making up phobia. Yeah. I didn't even think this is nah, for real. I've had some tweets on my page where I thought, like, this is it. You know, I'm going to go to bed and wake up. No Twitter tomorrow. And then I'm still going through. I'm like, oh, thank God. And then it'll be like a really small peep um, tweet, like that, like, plus a joke. And then people are like, wow, you're a fucking asshole. Why'd you put that? I'm like, bro, what? Like, I, I remember one <laughs> I did that I was just lost and baffled on. It was um, a joke where it was like some, like, I think it was Amy Schumer. She's like, Amy Schumer, like a female comedian, is very unlikable. And she came forward like, yeah, I went from straight to non-binary. And then I kind of like copy-pasted a joke that Dave Chappelle said where he's like, you know, ugly or unfunny female comedians always come out as non-binary to just get more clout, basically. And I like paraphrased and copied like a Dave Chappelle quote. And then immediately people are like, man, Solo, you're a piece of shit. What the fuck's wrong with you? I'm like, bro, what? Like, it's a joke. Like, no. And then he was like, you know, railing into me. And then I literally had a guy tell me to go kill myself just from that post. I'm like, bro, ain't no way. If Dave Chappelle said this shit, you'd be laughing. But I say it, and it's a big no-no. I think it's funny that some people can but, you know, this joke was so insensitive to the struggles and day-to-day -day that some NBs might exist with. 
And I think that you're really, um, really diluting the suffrage that those people go on on a regular basis to a joke. And like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Kill yourself. How could you? How do you conclude by telling me to kill myself? I just don't get. It. It's like that, um, I don't know if you're into, like, the fighting, um, universal, like, you know, Tekken, yeah. or, you know, or the competitive scene, basically. There's a individual called Low Tier Fighter, and he's just, he, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this podcast, you've seen, a, if you've seen someone have a really bad take, and underneath it is a picture of an African-American man with, um, like, a little fro, with lightning Low-tier going around God. him, and yes. his eyes are white. Yes. He's, he's the, yeah, he's, like, he's, <laughs> He's the guy who made the meme like you should go kill yourself because he infamously went on like a five minute rant in the most obnoxious detail being like you keep coming back to me but I keep bodying you. You serve no purpose in life. You know what? It'd be better if you just killed yourself. <laughs> I think he was playing like a 14 year old kid yeah. on that game and I was like Christ man like he's just a kid. Just so, you know what makes that even more hilarious is the fact that um the fact that he's like it, it's a legendary it's a legendary rat. He said, I'm going to keep sealing up my walls. Um, you're going to keep coming back because you keep smelling the syrup, you bitch-ass nigga. <laughs> he said, I was like, hey, no he done that day. He said, your life serves no purpose. You should kill you. Yeah, you serve no purpose. You should now. kill yourself now. <laughs> I felt the force off of that one. I was like, god damn. I love seeing, I'm really into Dungeons and Dragons, and we have, like, a small little group, I guess, like, group chat, and someone posted a video of him, but he had, like, a little wizard hat on and a wizard beard, and it was the same format, but instead of, like, you know, it was like, you should cast lightning on yourself now, he was like, you serve no mana, why don't you give some of that stuff to the other wizards, he was like, all you're gonna be doing is cleaning my alchemy, and I'm like, bro, ain't no way. Tell me what you think about this um, this meme format, this this memetic uh, comment. All right, it's a very deep and esoteric lore meme. Let's I believe Lota God examining the utility of humanitarian incremental support towards a utopia. Thus, those who serve as agitators and all walking and all walks of life are against us, and serve ultimately to hinder us in every conceivable um, capacity. Basically, they're talking about how uh, in the utility of humanitarian goals, it is incremental to supporting uh, a utopia that agitators serve as a hindrance to society. Believing in this fundamentally in, in all of its physical makeup, they are far more serviceable in the greatest schemes of society in non-existence. Thus, proposing they take their own life is the only way they can act as a sort of recourse uh, for their yes. folly. You know what this is posted under? A video called Low Tier God, Suicide, Philosophy, and the Ethics of Killing Yourself. Now! Jesus, man, that's a philosophical <laughs> point. Like someone literally... Oh, God. Yeah, I love how... Someone literally... Somebody <laughs> What's literally up? Sorry, go ahead. ...took Low Tier God's um, rant and was trying to find what... Philosophical teachings were more in line with that rant. It's the most amazing shit post I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm so mad right now, like, going back to the fighting thing. For people who don't know, the main king of all fighting games, whether that be Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Super Smash Bros., 
is this motherfucker called Sonic like Fox, Sonic yeah. or he something like that? Absolutely a thing. And yeah, and he's a fucking. Uh, he is literally autistic in a furry, and he just dominates the competition. Like no one can even rival him. And I'm like, it's not fair. Like you just have this kid like show up in a tournament wearing like this big goofy hat, and then I'm like, no way. And he just like mops the floor of everyone. He just gets his controllers like next tournament. I'm like, okay, like I I and don't understand the thing how. Is that, like usually someone is like dominant in a spear in like, one particular game that they refine their skills. To the point where the deities amongst one particular game, and that is uh, through eons of reading the ancient arts of how to like tech throws. But this is not the particular case with Sonic Fox. No, rather he started at Injustice, did his thing, went to another game, Mortal Kombat X, proceeded to do his thing there, went to another game like Skullgirls, did his thing there. I'm like, what? What is this creative character? What's happening here? <laughs> Who in a um, test, yeah. what test two baby has like gone awry and is just beating everyone's ass here? Yeah, no, he's just, he's built different. He's simply, he is him. Know, he's just built different. Like, <laughs> but, and some, somebody I thought was kind of funny, somebody was trying to point out how Sonic Fox was like, oh, he lost like the DBZ tournament and everyone's trying to rub it in his face. I'm like, bro, I don't think there exists another person who is good at this many games at one time simultaneously. I, I don't, I don't think there exists. Yeah, they don't know how hard it is. Like, and people think like, oh, you can play one fighting game, you can play them all. That's kind of true for like basic mechanic shit. But past that, all games have their like unique quirks and shit you gotta learn yeah, to if you want to actually be good at it. You know what I mean? Certain techniques you have to refine just to be good. Like, like a back. I should say I'm good at like Mortal Kombat 10 and like go over to like Super Smash Bros yeah. and thing. Like, oh, I'm hot shit. You know. When there's a guy who only plays Super Smash Bros. there and he's like juggles my ass or yeah, something and like beats I, me. I, I do enjoy that the typical um, typical attire of a Smash Bros. player is just like almost homeless, but not really. Uh, I do enjoy that, no matter what it is. Uh, I don't. Oh my god! I remember going to one of those tournaments once, and I wasn't to play just like because like I had a buddy invite me out because he was playing. He's like, "Yeah, man, come out." And he's a pretty normal dude. He's a bit on chubby side, but I'm like, "All right, sure, man." Holy, I thought I was coming to, like, the local Beluga <laughs> convention. Like, I've never seen so many badasses in my life. Like, I'm, like, no, they were so pale, and, like, they reached a point of, like, obesity where their forehead was fat. I didn't even know it was humanly possible to have literal fat accumulate on your forehead. And then I was like, bro, ain't no way these people are like this. Out here, like, no deodorant, it smelled horrible. And then I literally was only able to stay in there for like 10 minutes with my buddy because he played like one game. And then he's playing against his other dude. The whole game, all he has, <laughs> I look over and his opponent's like sweating like crazy. Like, literally, I see pit stains. First game, mind you. And then right when we be on this fat little troll goes, Yeah, it's like you know, screaming. Everyone's looking at him weird. And then um, I was like, Is that it? And then my buddy's like, yeah, I lost, but look next time. And I was like, you good if we go now? I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, bro, what the fuck did you bring me into? <laughs> like, to me, um, one of the funniest things about this mass community, and I genuinely but I mean this, is that people come from all walks of life and travel from miles away just to be at this epicenter of skill and tournament is that no one considers daily hygiene like an absolute. It's it's a wolf of recommendation. <laughs> Uh, the most cutthroat tournaments I've ever seen in my life has to Tekken be Tekken, a hundred percent Tekken. Tekken's just a it is insane, yeah. Because it's always like 
Yeah, no, that's literally <laughs> it's just dominated by Koreans and like Japanese people. Like, yeah, I'm not oh, even saying it would be stereotypical. If you literally look at the chart since the very birth of Tekken, every like main tournament winner has been like hosting Wong or something like that. I'm like, bro, ain't no way another one. It's like this tiny little Asian dude, and then I'm like, okay, like I I guess I kids can't compete. Like they both the meme of when you see the you know Korean letters over someone's username. Right. That's like GG, just uninstall. Like, like you lost. Like, like it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really that moment of like, oh shit, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I got a streak going on, and then you see Asian <laughs> letters. Like, ah shit. <laughs> well, let's go out. Yeah. No, I remember Tekken Seven. I was a goat playing King. And he was basically like a Lucha Lord character. It's really good at grappling. And Tekken is like a little dopamine rush. They have a little score basically being like, you're on a two-player win streak. Keep going. So I was like hyping you up to keep playing into this addiction. And then you're like sitting there like, oh man, you know, I gotta keep chasing that dragon. I gotta keep going. I'm five games in. I'm like, okay, I got this. I got this. And I just see squiggle lines like on the screen. It's like someone else playing like, um... Like the most meta character ever. I'm like, okay, I'm just, yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm done. <laughs> Man just railed me. I was like, I can't I do anything. It's just, I, I can't compete. Online. <laughs> but I, I played Soul Calibur. I played Tekken. I played Street Fighter. I played Mortal Kombat. I played Skullgirls. And I'm currently playing God. Dead or Alive. You yeah, played Dead or Alive? Dead or Alive too. The only game I never really got all that into was Guilty Gear. Because when I got online, I just got touched. I just, I, I felt. Like I needed Chris Hansen there by me. I'm like, all right, I, I can't. Like some games get guilty. Gear makes me uncomfortable. That shit. I I'm sorry. I'm in the same boat as you, Hazy. I cannot play that game. It's just I feel weird and dirty. Not, I'm like, I don't like system. this. I, I need to 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 emphasize what I mean when I say touched. I mean, like there's some games where you it's revigorate. It's invigorating to like see the complexities that are usually by veterans who are on the online spheres and online scapes, and you see how good you can become, and that is an inspiration of itself. Guilty Gear is like when you get touched in that game, you're like, "All right, this is just this is a, I, 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 you're good in such a way that I can't even comprehend. Like, I don't, I don't know how I got beaten that badly. Like, uh, it, it is like string combo your ass. Yes, like a like, what's it zero to one hundred combo just, move. Especially um, the last Guilty Gear I played was the uh, was like two was a like two different dimensions. Like you could jump between the. The, the the front and the second something in the nature of a Naruto Ultimate Ninja Storm game, um, but they kept just they kept jumping on my other side, hitting me, other side hitting me, other side hitting. I'm like I don't I don't I, I don't get it. I just I just this is this is this is more than I, I I can devote my time to doing. But altogether, I love playing those games. I recently came back to Mortal Kombat X because it's the best Mortal Kombat in my personal opinion. Um, just to Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, they, very basic. When I was like, yeah, there's like three butter combos and nothing really else. So like experimentation was what made um, the game so amazing. Like you, you can genuinely create your own like the MacGyvering aspect of it all. Like, oh, shit, I could do this. Like, oh, maybe I can do this sort of combo. It, it, it was that fascination, and especially with everyone having like three different like variations you could play as, and you could. Get, this was just an amazing game, and they really stifled that in the uh, Mortal Kombat 11. And I have no idea why they hate Kotal Kahn because my my guy was done absolutely the filthiest. Oh my god! Only to get me started on more. <laughs> 
They brought him back just to get his ass whooped and disrespected. Like, my one gripe that Mortal Kombat's been doing recently, story-wise, is like, let's say Mortal Kombat X, my only gripe. One, the main villain, Shinnok, who's like this basically nigh-omnipotent deity, like who's like the son of like some really powerful uh, creator, shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm about to... Yeah, yeah and then, no, this motherfucker, <laughs> at the very beginning of the de- game... Gets his ass handed to him by like a character who's not even like a main main character, like he's Johnny Cage basically. He's not like the main guy, like main guy, but he whoops him. I'm like, okay, like he beat him. I guess you know the excuse was like that's him when he was weak, yada yada. The entire storyline, Shinnok is not in the game until the very end, and then Shinnok's like, oh, I'm at full power, no one can stop me. And then you have like Johnny Cage's daughter, who's like a rookie, whoop his ass and stop him. I'm just like, so he just gets disrespected twice, like he doesn't do anything. Like, at least in Mortal Kombat yeah. 9, you had, like, Shao Kahn actually fucking people up. Mm-hmm. Snapped, um, it's yeah, Snapped, what's his name? The guy with the spinning hat? I always forget his name. Yeah. Oh, yeah, see, I always get mixed up. Uh, yeah, Kung Lao. He just broke his neck. He got, what's her name? His, like, wife. Um, the chick with the hair. That grabs people and she screams. Who? Yeah, Sindel, like, in Mortal Kombat 9, kills literally more than half the cast, like, in one thing. I'm like, shit, like, this really is Mortal Kombat, where at the end of the story, for the main cast is just I, dead. You I don't know who's the main guy or who's not, who's gonna, like, live. And to make, because, quote, I mean, um, Shao Kahn was given such a good um, demonstration in the game that only the chosen Dragon Warrior could really defeat him. And like, okay, that makes sense, because Kotal Kahn has his child and servitude to him, and basically in captivity, because she cannot defeat him. He defeated Onaga, like a, dr- a little dragon emperor. So, in terms of scaling... I'm sorry, what You heard he's rumored to be coming back in the next game? Onaga? He's rumored to be coming back as the main boss in the newest Mortal Kombat game to drop in. Not only did they make him fucking shit I would like in Mortal Kombat like, 11, I'm like, this, this, this is just... I don't care about the taunts. You, you just guys have just made him. There's no way you're going to get any of this off unless you're just given armor, which they did in Mortal Kombat 9, which I have no idea why they didn't do in this game, but okay. But um, to offset like how basically limited in his moveset he was, the thing that made him interesting is that you couldn't just walk up and beat him up. So when he had Katana do just that, it's like, are we just forgetting like legacy acts and how this is supposed to be understood this is like having Bo Lee beat up the Undertaker it's like are we just not yeah (laughs) yeah like you don't just do that (laughs) and especially that was the whole point of Shao Kahn is that people in the early days of his game he was absolutely broken and then they were like yeah we did it on purpose he's supposed to be hard he's supposed to be like you know actual difficult and but yeah yeah not impossible that was the whole point he was the big bad boss at the end of the game and then the later games they shit on him and his all of his legacy like yeah he's just like a throwaway you know um java character he gets his ass handed basically like they did that shit to reptile too that pissed me off but they're like reptile is just a bitch in the background but i'm like no and that's what pissed me off like and the old lore like reptile was Shang Tsung's personal bodyguard. And he even said at the ending that he was so powerful, he's able to defeat Shang Tsung. And I thought, that's fucking dope. Like, wow, you got a new ninja that's been in the background watching everything, 
strong enough to whoop Shang Tsung's ass and everyone else's ass, and he just sits there like he's just loyal. Okay. And I thought it's so cool. And then you make him like a stupid idiot, like a Jabba, basically. And I'm like, all right, cool. It's the same thing that happened with Kano. I'm just like, yeah, I'd agree on Kano, that. I like that the, one a lot. Uh, the, the the Merc with a mouth. Wait a minute, that's Deadpool. But beyond that, I just thought it was so fucking weird that he's constantly the go-to guy to assassinate somebody, <laughs> and all he does is get his ass. I'm like, bro, who keeps you employed? Who is who is hiring you? Because <laughs> like he's hiring you as a body I just don't yeah. that. Like, who? Oh god. And also how they like um. And also, how they had like the I I I thought Mortal Kombat X was nah, the who's someone of a game, but like granted, Mortal Kombat X um wasn't the greatest in terms of storyline, but it didn't fuck up nowhere near the levels that Mortal Kombat Eleven did. It was leagues that had the best. Yeah, no, it was leagues that had the best of game mechanics. I felt like it played the most smooth. It had the most unique variations. It actually felt like it took skill to learn. It wasn't something where like Mortal Kombat 11 was, where it was just like, yeah, there's shit characters that are unplayable and they're good ones. Like Mortal Kombat X, I uh, say outside of Bo Raichu, yes, yes. every character you could like, play like, and get really good at. Yeah. Like it's more balanced in the tier list, you know what I mean? It's like while Mortal Kombat 11, it's like before tier list even starts, people are like, okay, Shao Kahn, F tier, you know, Noob Saibot, S tier, and then you just keep doing that like without even blinking. Because it's so painfully obvious how yeah, when, unbalanced when the characters like, are, characters and that's what to me ruins a fighting game. Yeah. You know, like even Kotokan, you like you can make him work in um, online play. You can make a lot of those characters work, whether it's Kano, whether it's Devor, whether it's uh, Melina, Katana, even the new characters he had added, like um, Jackie Briggs or Cassie Cage or Takeda. These are like really interesting characters. Kinshi was one of my favorites. Especially his shadow variation. Yes. And He's me, one of the that also made one. I'm so glad they're bringing him back. Was, um, I was like, ah, oh, yes, I'm so happy to see like evil like Raiden. And then the man was turning to Sam and bring me your dreams. I'm like, God damn it. That's the second time you killed my nigga right after turning him evil. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cool design. And we yeah, never yeah, see that cool. wrong in the narrative. Oh gosh! Absolutely, and it, 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 they even advertise the game with yeah. It. Evil like, rating is pretty fucking dope. He goes by the elder gods, and then I'm like, why does? Okay, two things. It was even in the trailer, the release trailer for the fucking game, where it's him going up against um Scorpion. And then, yeah, I was playing 21 Savage in the background. That, like, you know, track they put on there. It was a pretty I, fucking I hype trailer. But the game just didn't amount to anything, really, in my opinion. Especially with, like, uh, Koto Khan. And I was just like, he's like, it's like, oh, the cotton. I hate them. I'm like, I don't remember him being a, a, a racist, but okay. I, 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 <laughs> was that a part of his. Like, he, he's just a garbage. Here's the thing. Every game has taken some like Aztec design, and I fucking love those characters when they ever include them. But they just made Kotal Khan completely unlikable. Just absolutely everything about him is just. <laughs> and that's what pisses me off because in the comic book, he's actually a fucking goat. Like, there's a whole comic series release that fills you into the events between 10 and 11. He fucking goes up against Goro. Well, he has like a chip of like the amulet of Shinnok. 
which mind you for people who don't know this thing is basically like having the chaos emeralds like you're just broken with them so you have goro an already intimidating fighter with this broken ability and not only was shinnok able not shinnok sorry um Kolokan able to whoop his ass he cut off all four of his fucking arms and left him there yeah he didn't even kill him he's like no i'm not even gonna kill you and he's walked away and it's like humiliated him and then like Lizzie was talking about you have him in like mortal kombat 11 and he's just like an absolute like you know contrarian from like it's almost like jekyll and hyde like dude you're like, pretty fucking dope in like mk10 like what's up like, what's going on now bro, like mk11 none of them were prettier than you and i'm like what um i'm sorry maybe i missed something but when were these guys like dating i i i don't like, they, they, but, they, but they really it's, forced it's that relationship like, the whole jade Kotal Khan thing i don't know why they did that you like hate, i don't know like, mush mouth people hold on now i can't let that happen even if they're like literally i could date an aztec god that i've seen rip people's heart out and drink their blood no i can't date a racist this ain't gonna work and then i'm like bro what i don't know i, I don't I... like jade what's they going on this man literally said oh i can pre present your heads as a gift to Shinnok, I'm like, wow, bro, this man is, he's supposed to be the new leader of Outworld, and his 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 ability to buckle under pressure is oh, absolutely admirable, like, wow, dude, great A leader material, really. No, are we going to talk about the most hated person ever? My personal hated, and I think community agrees on this, too. Fucking Devora, I hate her with a passion. Despise her even. I don't want her in any more games ever. And if God had the ability to, I wish he would smite down whoever had the idea of creating that character. It's like an, an annihilate. Like I am right now calling upon divine invention to smite this motherfucker for making that bullshit character. Like I just I hate her so much. It's just she kills off all the main good characters. She pisses the community off because she's not likable. Like, she killed Baraka. She killed fucking Melina. In the most disrespectful way, too. She, like, puked, like, fucking larvae and spiders in her fucking mouth. Like that, um, Melina's. And, like, fatality harassed by that. I'm like, Melina's a literal char cotton. Her mouth is nothing but teeth. Anyone with a fucking brain knows, hey, even though she has her yeah, arms tied behind her back, why not go around the mouth like, area where it's literally just a jagged like, saw show? If you were gonna die here, why not just... You could have just done that, but they just decided. By the way, I also believe that Mortal Kombat X's Melina design is probably one of the best designs for the character um, beyond the uh, clear just pornography show that he had for Deception. But um, the Devora for me, for like a clear case of developer favoritism, like they even attempted to retcon her as oh, there's nothing wrong with having new characters. I just hate when they try to retcon a character that's always existing, like, all right. You do realize when you have her meet OG Raiden and OG Lucane and Kung Lao, you're like, okay, they, they, they've encountered these characters one time before, but yet none of the texts, none of the stories at that point have ever mentioned a Devora. So it, I hate that level of retconning when nothing prior to this has ever mentioned Devora's character, and it felt like they were really inserting her to have a significance in the narrative in a way that didn't make sense for most like fans of the narrative like of the story of the of Mortal Kombat as a story. It truly felt like favoritism. Like someone really was like 
did everything, made the storyline bend backwards to kill a fan favorite like Scorpion off. I mean, he was Hanzo Hasashi, but at that point, I really didn't like his character. Like, uh, I just didn't like his fit. I didn't like his. Uh, I didn't like his design. I liked Hanzo Hasashi. I liked the redemption arc. Yeah, like uh, the using like the design. Yeah, I can see that. Like, I got what they were trying to go for. Because you can't be like an angry demon spirit forever, you know. Like yeah, the revenant, Quan Chi's dead, everything like that. Kind of He's freed from being a revenant. Like, right, so that, I thought that was interesting. That a bit. Also, Quan Chi used to be like remember Mortal Kombat Gold. Yeah, Mortal I Kombat Gold was like one of the games that actually made him feel like an ethereal being of chaos and absolute anarchy. But they made him a jobber, just like other villains within the narrative. So it's hard to really feel any sort of danger from him existing. Yeah, it was. That, that, that was pretty funny watching him get his nuts stomped out, though, by Sonya Blade. That shit was kind of funny. But, um, yeah. I, I... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, like, I think he has... Warlock on Quanchi is pretty broken. I just think that the, in terms of narratively speaking, there was so many problems I had with Mortal Kombat X, especially with like characters just walking off with characters. Like, like, like instead of just Sector killing them, he like took them as hostages when he really shouldn't have and had no motivation as to do so. Or the fact that Sonya Blade lectures Cassie Case for leaving her behind without watching the footage or having like, I mean, she's like, I watched the footage. I'm like. So, did you think it was important to have done that before you start lecturing your daughter about seeing her mother die? You know, <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. It's jeez. That just gives me a headache thinking about the story. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just you're reminding me now. I hadn't played the storyline in so long, and then you reminded me just just. Recertifying my beliefs of how absolute dog shit the story was. I'm just thinking here, like, damn, was it really that bad? I'm like, yeah, Hazy's right, it was that bad. Anyway, the biggest problem I had with it was that Shao Kahn, I mean, well, Shinnok was an was 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 a was a child of another elder god, and Kronika was an elder god, and this is the problem with this narrative is that she's an elder god of time, and she brought back some allies that she could use to aid her course of action. But she also brought back OG Liu Kang, OG Raiden. I'm like, but why? If you have control over, you're a deity of time. Why are you bringing back all these other characters? There exists is no reason to do so. I think the reason she needed to bring back um, Liu Kang was because she needed him to betray Raiden to continue the cycle so she wins. But I agree. I don't see the point of her bringing back, you know, like the other one. The God, I keep forgetting his name. Spinning hat guy. Um, And the thing is about this is that I don't know why I keep forgetting his name for some reason. My little brother plays that character the most too. um, Coming on from the elder gods for like injustices, like ultimates. But to me, one of the weirdest moments that happened in the series is like, oh, you couldn't have foreseen this. I'm like. But you literally control time. How did you not notice? <laughs> Couldn't you just rewind back to the moment before um, 
Braden and Luke Kang like fuse and stop that from happening. I, I don't nothing. That's the problem with having giving somebody time manipulation abilities. Is nothing that's stopping them yeah. from doing that. I can't recall a single piece of media where the whole time manipulation shit actually went well and it was consistent and that didn't leave like giant gaping plot holes. Well, actually, let me take it back. I'd say Back to the Future, but that's kind of stretching it. But like, besides like Back to the Future, I can't think of any piece of media or like video game where like, yeah, time travel. And then, like, it worked type thing where it didn't leave me questioning, like, okay, yeah, but isn't this a giant like, well, flaw? At least and it leads to, like, a bootstrap like, paradox, like, who invented what first type thing. Bizarre world, well, until they decided that, you know, Jotaro, Jotaro also has the ability to the word. I'm like, it feels like a cop out. I don't know if he had to go on vacation soon, but it felt like such. I love the fight. It was hyped. So <laughs> I was like, it felt as though there were so many instances in which you get paid off by paying attention to the most minute details. But here it was just like, also, Jotaro has the ability to use the Zo word as well. I'm like, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I want them to. So I know it's not canon, yeah. but I really want them because he's currently, Araki's currently writing his final part, is what people were suspecting. I want them to bring back, you know, I at least finish up this part and then bring up, you know, Eyes Over Heaven, Dio, or some shit like that. Because I know it's non canon, it's only in the video game, but it's such a unique concept and idea of a character. And it'd be nice to see, like, you know, the accumulation of, like, all of Rocky's, like, stories come together in one thing. I I think that could have easily explained why Jonathan, um, why um, Jotaro had the ability to to use time manipulation. All he had to do was say that the stand that Dio was using is actually one of Jonathan. Um, abilities and him getting that body also gave him access to that stand. Therefore, the blood relation is why there are similarities between the stands. It could have easily, yeah, they could have easily gone with that rather than it just being a pure coincidence thing. It just felt so like contrived. Why didn't be pure coincidence that, that makes sense? Stands, I'm like, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> Nope. Really quick, correct me on this, but did Dio ever use any of his vampire abilities in part three? Because the, I remember seeing like the drawbacks, like he couldn't go outside at night or like during day. But I was just thinking to myself, like, doesn't he have like laser eyes and shit like that? Like he used. You could have unarmed. So many times throughout right the fight, I thought, yeah, if you uh, use this, they don't know you have it. That's like your trump card. You could have won. Like, it I don't know. Introducing it. <laughs> Yeah, a Rocky forgot moment. I think I told you this before, but my all-time favorite part, Steel Ball Run, there's a famous scene called Who Shot Johnny? It's a chapter where you have all the main characters in this main plaza area, basically. And throughout every panel, it shows a clock, and it shows the exact time on it. And then out of nowhere, the main character, Johnny, is on the floor bleeding with a bunch of bullet holes in him. 
and his friend Jiro Zapelli is looking around like, okay, who shot Johnny? And he sees like a bunch of different suspects. He asks them, they all give a very slightly different story, and it's supposed to be this big, oh, this is, you know, the main villain's stand power. Only issue we have here, though, when the Japanese version was translated over to English, it's not on, like, printed paper yet, it's on, like, online, they butchered the time, thus making it make no sense. So even if you were the most Sherlock Holmes motherfucker out there, if you looked at, like, the panels... There were typos in the time. Like, they literally had Eng- Japanese to English typos. So it wouldn't have made logical sense at all to be like, okay, so that's how his ability works. It makes sense now. And, like, people were just scratching their heads like, what the fuck? But it wasn't until later, like, someone who's, like, a Japanese-American student or some shit like that, he was able yeah, to, like, actually demonstrate, like, like hey, all right, I, I, I the original so one says in, this. Um, Here's a typo here, here. And people were like, oh, now it makes sense. Holy shit, is it complex as shit. It's, a, it's an insane amount of things and i'm sorry like the initial idea is so fascinating but in terms of how it would work in a fight and how how many rules you would have to be like you had to keep continuously in mind for like i couldn't it would be absolute narrative hell to try to write for that character to try to write keeping all the rules in mind for how it functions like yeah he he just decides like you know i'm just gonna record how this works because holy shit Yeah, no. Uh, D4C is absolutely broken as a character, and I'd say he's probably the third strongest stand in all of the JoJo's universe. Because my top three would be Wonder of You, uh, Golden Experience, Requiem, followed by D4C. That's my top three strongest stands, I'd say. Yeah, the wonder of you yeah. just it's no, I, I'm still it's I don't know, it's baffling to me, but I know you're reading it, so I don't want to spoil it for you because I remember you said that. Oh, wait, have you caught up to it? Or are you still reading? No, you're good, you're good. Yeah, I'm not gonna mention what you're gonna read what wonder of you does and go absolutely no fucking way. This is the villain stand, like, there's no way it's just. Librarian I don't even know how to describe it. It's so broken, but like speech bubbles. I'm like, bro, you okay? You okay? <laughs> wait, hold. On. My standability works on every Tuesday at twelve o'clock when the grass is green at this certain that, location. When my opponent says this word, this is my stand. I'm like, OP what? Like, it has to be like, so okay, specific and like, niche. So I'm like, okay, this is like okay, non-applicable at all. <laughs> in terms of the logic and reasoning, I just, I, I would have been dead trying to figure out how it works. No matter how many times that dragon stand of luck is explained to me, I'm like, I don't get it, and I don't think I don't. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I honestly feel like I'm getting gaslit, and anyone that tells me they get it, there's gaslighting me. I, I simply refuse to believe anyone understands it because I'm not going to be treated like I'm it's so Neanderthal that doesn't understand this shit. I'm like, no, it's no one understands. It's not just me. Like, you guys are all lying. Like, everyone's lying. No way that this is being explained properly. Like, it doesn't. The way it's explained, the 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 destination of location is 
shows probabilistically nature of like what's your destined. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, what? I I I had to rewind it. I literally had to rewind the entire episode and go. No, I still don't understand. I give up. <laughs> I give up. If that was my part, I'm like you win, you win. I I, I don't understand what you did. Yeah, I still can't believe no one called was, out Araki for having a fucking monkey that was have a stand like, ability okay. that is I an entire cruise ship. Just like a, a cargo shit and Star's Crusaders. Okay, I have no expectations. I, like I, I, I'm, I'm going to assume nothing at this point. <laughs> I'm going to assume everything is a stand user at this point, especially a rapist. Monkey was like a horrible. Yeah, it's, just, it's so really? crazy. Yeah. I like the meme. Where it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I hate that guy so much. He's creepy. I wish they brought you know, nobody you should ever heard. Yeah, they're like, "What's your standability?" Oh, I'm a rapist. Dio's like, "All right, you're on my team. Get in here." I'm like, "Bro, no way." Like, I can just imagine Dio like interviewing the people that were like supposed to stop the Stars Crusaders. And then you, know you have what? that one magnetic chick, and he's like, what's your ability? She's like, oh, I could turn guys gay. And then he's like, all right, you're on my team, let's go. I'm like, bro, what is this shit? Like, then just pretend to be a sun in the sky and make people think that they're, they're in a desert. It's like, yeah, this is just Dio trolling. And even in his first appearance, after not seeing him for such a long time, he all he does to pull him up is just take him downstairs. I'm like, this nigga just loves trolling. This man is, this, this guy is a troll. <laughs> Him right there. You're right. I didn't think. No, he really could have just killed him right there, but he just. <laughs> so, for people who don't know, Dio, his ability is that he could basically stop time for six seconds. Stardust and Polarap. In the show, the very first scene where he's introduced to the one of the members of the people trying to stop him, his name was his Polarap. He keeps gaslighting him yeah. about whether or not he stepped up the stairs to approach him. Yeah, he's up a flight of stairs, menacingly staring down at this motherfucker, and Dio's like, come up the stairs and fight me then. And then Polonoff's like all shaky, like, alright, I could do this. And then he blinks, and he didn't move. And he's like, wait, am I still going up the stairs? I'm not even moving. Dio's like, I'm waiting, come on. It's like, just a gaslight. I mean, my man's was like, L himself. Okay, he didn't have to, he didn't have to one-shot Kakuin like that. That shit was dirty, like... Yeah, like you could troll with one guy, but the moment you see Cockleen, he's like, nah, I'm putting a hole in your chest. And it's just what he did. I'm like, bro, not my boy. Splash never misses. What a completely useless technique he kept continuously using. He was cool little motivation on team, I guess. He was he's a fun little gag character. Emerald Splash. Oh, no, my, my favorite that's the best episode. My favorite part in the entire Stars Crusaders one was when they're gambling against Darby. <laughs> that shit where he literally is sitting there and he's like, I bet this. And he's like, What are you wagering? He's like, I'm wagering you tell me deal secret. And this dude's so freaked out, like, no way. And he's like, I'm betting my mother's soul. I'm literally betting my mother's entity is a soul or her very essence on the table. 
and then he's sitting there like you know mentally psyched out the guy gambling with him like oh shit like yeah. uh do, am i gonna call him that on this am so i gonna call him in poker it's he really looks up. So, so good. Jojo Charles found a way. Just pulled a cigarette out of nowhere and just started smoking it at the Arby's, table. Like, um, no way he's that confident. Since he never really emoted that much. And to this point in the narrative, I had no understanding as to why he was the quintessential character. But in terms of battle, this sort of um, stoic and completely stilled off emotional nature of him made him very intriguing as an enigma in terms of combat. Not really knowing what he was thinking about. Or was he overwhelmed in the fight? Was he unsure? It was always that sort of idea of waiting what his next move was to really get an idea of where the fight was heading. It really edged you when you see. But in that poker game, his character, like baseline characteristics, really flourish in this moment because him being an enigma, facial-wise and like emotional-wise, you couldn't really call him on his bluff. And especially towards the earliest part of the series, where he's getting things outside of the prison and bringing them in for entertainment, you think to yourself, "Hey, as a viewer, it's been ingrained into you that there's a likelihood that he did change out his cards." That there's a guy telling him what he has, but maybe he did because he has a cigarette and, you know, Star Planet moves so fast. So all of these things are quite very much a likelihood. So when you find out that it's all just a ruse, it's it's so satisfying as of an episode. I should just bizarre adventure. Uh, part three is not that great, though. <laughs> I stand by that. Yeah, basically for the audience, definitely watch yeah. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. One hundred percent recommend. Yeah, like, let's there's go. Like meme amongst the community, like, um, yeah. oh, oh, Battle Tendency and Snowball Run's my favorite. Like, those two. First off, like Jonathan and Joseph were like amazing main characters, and even like at that point, Part Two was was my favorite. But I feel like Part Three is kind of overrated. It's. Uh, Yeah, in terms of like the part one and part two, part three is extremely repetitious. I still think it's good, but it's not like the holy gospel that people say it is. You know what I mean? Like, to me, I feel oh, like yeah, every single one of Iraqi's like, chapter, the next one just gets better and better and better. And better. Like, the way about power creep in um, the narrative. Like, I don't know. It's always a felt. It's always an interesting it's, dyma- it's, uh, dynamic, if you will. Around like the unique stand abilities and that, that that idea in of itself is just great but i would i, I would say that like um still in terms of like really good um storytelling i think i, I still love um joseph joe star i thought he was underutilized in uh, star disc crusaders and even though um they already killed him off once Mohammed Adolf dying again was just like ain't no ain't no fucking ain't no way. That, that was trash. That was completely basuda. I was just yeah, like, they wait, have killed him. you they can't have killed him a second I, time. I could not like, I thought that, that was brought, it was the same thing with Kalkari. I don't know. His, like, I feel like Kalkari as a character was just in terms of design choices and all that. He's cool, but in terms of um, contribution to the narrative, this man came back, took an L. Came back again, took an L again. I'm like, and his whole um, contribution. Oh yeah. 
you know that um, uh, Araki actually wanted Whole Horse? To, I really uh, wish had Whole Horse would have joined the, the group. group felt like he that would have been actually dope. I would like that. To be, um, to be a distinguishing enough like uh, personality among the crew. So that was his reasoning as to why he uh, didn't include him. But when he held a gun to his head, that shit was funny as fuck. Nah. Yeah, I like how Dio's like, you got some balls. I'm not yeah, even going to kill you. I just so respect cool. you for being that crazy. Uh, and he just so leaves long. him alone in a room. He's like, yeah, okay, I know so you have a gun to my head. Speaking, and uh, I know you're not going to pull the trigger, like, though. I, about I was like, damn. How um, Dio was presented. Like, you know, the face of God. Like, people thought of him as a deity. And, like, you know, you can't glaze upon the face of God. And I thought, like, I don't know. I thought in terms of subtle symbolism, I think that was, like, inferred from, like, how he was perceived from that point. Like, everyone who... Um, basically align themselves with him, perceive him as a god, so they couldn't see his face, and that was why he was so enigmatic towards the earliest parts of Stardust Crusaders. Yes. Yeah, you only saw his face at the very end when he was going to fight. Poochie is a very interesting character. What was I, I going to say? Um, that I, uh, I on moving on to, I guess, Poochie, later down the timeline. You want to touch on Poochie at all? About look, how Fair he functions with the narrative. Um, I also believe that it's fascinating how Jolene is... Um, her storyline is probably far more interconnected than any other storyline prior to this. Naturally, it's understandable that most people... Like realize that as a JoJo's like storyline, since JoJo's is all about lineage, and I think that having a character whose powers are literally about the strings, um, really speaks to the interconnectivity of the JoJo world. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yo, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm actually thinking about what's it called. One of yeah, my I first tattoos is getting a Joe Star tattoo on my back. That, that they decided to um, make the Joe Star tattoo. Yeah, if I were doing a new picture, just my back with the Joe Star tattoo on it. Like, yeah, but what's up? You know what's fascinating <laughs> about it? It's the the most um, the most clever recon in the narrative because it's at a place where you could be forgiven for not noticing it. Like, it, like you really go. Huh, have they always had this? Like, I guess they have. Like, <laughs> how so? It's a tattoo in a place that no one would look. I like, there's this meme I gotta find, but it shows like the final battle between, um, Poochie and the whole gang going against him when he had um, made in heaven the stand and said all of this would not God happen if a carriage rider in the 1800s didn't trip on like them like you know, walk. That meme now. So, like, none of this would have happened just because it's one guy's action. I'm like, oh, jeez. The whole universe didn't think. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. It's like none of that would have happened. Absolutely. Go ahead. Nah, really quick. <laughs> you okay if we go back to uh, attacking? Because there's one thing I want to mention on that. 
It rings bells. So, are you familiar with a gentleman known as Lil Majin? At all? I've watched some Tekken tournaments, but they had Bushido Brown dominating. Oh, He's shit. Yeah, king, basically. Yo, can I just say something that's kind of funny to me? Uh, just a little bit. Okay, so you brought up like South Koreans being a big deal in um, the, the fighting sphere and uh, when it came to Tekken. But when it, when it came to Mortal Kombat, like if you watch the, yeah. the uh, ESU, uh, I was like, there was a lot of black people. I'm like, Tekken was just like, <laughs> was just that game for us. <laughs> That's not... No, and it's funny as fuck because that's why I want to get into the story. So, the story of this guy, Lil Majin, was that during his time period, I think it was like 2016, he was at a fair, like a festival with his girlfriend, and he saw like a convention booth there playing Tekken. He played Tekken like four and five, and Tekken seven just dropped, and he's like, all right, I'll just play around. And he ended up playing, he's like actually pretty good, just naturally good. He had a natural talent for it, for like combinations. And then he had winning like this really small tournament. And he thought, okay, that's fun, time to go back to more Monday in life. He got approached by someone who was like one of these big, like higher ups and managers, like, hey, you actually play, you know, a character known as King, which is a dude I main, whose main primary things is submissions and stuff like that, and suplexes and grappling. No one plays these on like meta levels, he's not a meta character. So he's like, yeah, you'd be interesting. Like, I'd like to see you back on like a higher stage or platform. So like, all right. So thus birthed this dude grinding on Tekken yeah, Seven. Yeah, this is being mind you, at God, this time right? he, he yeah. was the only like prominent right. black dude in the tournament because in the tournaments it was all just Asian motherfuckers, like all like the Koreans and Japanese. They were running that. Game. They were, yeah, they were dominating the scene, and then they were just shitting on America. Like there was no American competitors that even brushed top three during Tekken. And for people listening. Tekken, I would argue, is the biggest fighting game out there on an international scale. Tekken is the League of Legends of fighting games, if that makes any sense. But So here comes this guy, he gets in a tournament, he starts working his way up. He actually gets pretty good, and then he gets tickets, invite over to, I think, to play in Canada or something like that. And that's a really big tournament. And he ended up playing, and then he won that tournament and beat like a dude who was supposed to be a big runner-up. And that's when, like, he got global attention. Proceeding this event to happen, he was able to get invited over to the um, JDCR, what's it, not, sorry, the EVO 2018 tournament. So this is a good two years after, you know, Tekken came out, and he's, like, up the top, basically. He has to get his ass over across the globe to play in a global sta um, stage against this guy called, yeah, JDCR is a dude's name. He's a small um, Korean dude. This guy, I kid you not, has reigned king over Tekken for like five years. No one even gets close to beating him. His combos are nigh omnipotent. And he plays a certain character called like Dragnavov, who is the meta of the meta of characters, basically. And then you have this dude coming in here, mind you, not Korean, but just like this chill, like normal black dude walking in there. And then he ended up getting like death threats and stuff saying like you need to drop out of this tournament. You're not welcome here. But he literally just was like, nah, fuck that shit. Full send. So he ended up playing the tournament, made it all the way up, and the final round was between him, Lil Majin versus JDCR. 
first round, JDCR basically beat his ass. Second round, he um, was getting closer, but he beat him again. The score is 2-2-0. All JDCR needs a Korean dude to retain his title is win one more time. But something else happened. In the audience, you heard a chant. First, it was slow, and then it began to build up more and more and more. USA, USA, USA. He found a way to not only beat him that um, next round, so now it's two to one, but he also was able to get him close, like blow to blow, in the second round, two two, and he barely beat him on the second round. So now the score is even two to two. So JDCR, the reigning champion, went from being like you know jokingly smuck, being like, oh yeah, what's this American doing on my stage, to now being irate and pissed off that why is this guy beating me? The final round. Only time I can recall seeing this in tournament history, and you can look up the video online, is Majin versus JDCR, Tekken 7, at EVO 2018. Um, he found a way to hit the legendary 20-move combo in his ass and win the game with that. And the whole time, the whole arena and stadium was just screaming USA. And with that, he reigned king over Tekken. So he was playing a character called King, and he was the king, and he dethroned, um, like, you know, the whole Eastern world, basically, saying, like, yeah, this is USA right here, baby. This is the most patriotic shit in a fighting game I've ever seen. I absolutely love it. Like, that just made me proud to be an American. Like, yeah, fuck yeah, you don't fuck with us. We got our own problems, and we whoop your ass fighting games. Little to any imprint in that scene, so to see someone get that close and literally, like, Suplex, one of the running like reigning champions and one of the best out there to ever do it. When it comes to, um, it's it's a, for for um that person you was going against. It's the equivalent of uh, uh Nintendo's um, Smash's um five gods, you know, like beating one of them. Absolutely do too, and. I was gonna say that. Um, yeah. But most time, I always love it when someone takes a really. Holy shit! Yeah, character I love fighting games so much. Defies expectations um, of like where they can go. What's up? Sorry. Like, I knew that Jax wasn't going to get that far in the the LS EU, uh, um, Mortal Kombat X LS. Yeah, like those tournaments. I knew he wasn't going to get that far in the top eight. Still. It was really nice to, um, to see oh, yeah, Jax because Jax is just a, a fan favorite, like especially his his soup, um, his grapple variation, which I wasn't even surprised that he was playing it. So to 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 see him get that far, and also one of my favorite stories of Mortal Kombat is the thirteen and zero story. Uh, was the uh, legend Perfect Legend decided to get a. Uh, so, Perfect Legend was uh, basically one of the mainstays within Mortal Kombat X. Uh, very much a recognizable figure. Oh, his no. Was Kung oh, no. I definitely enjoyed uh, you tell him, but you they tell was like a very um, energetic uh, uprise uh, with a signature style for wearing furry attire, the person we mentioned earlier here. Sonic Fox was basically doing a lot of shit-talking online, and they had agreed to an arrangement. Uh, personally, to me, one of my favorite players is Skara and his... Um, Sonya Blade is absolutely immaculate, but beyond that, I would say that these two basically 
decided to meet up, you know, to shut one of each other up, to finally have a definitive say as to who is the winner when it comes to all of this. So they finally met up. They did this shit talking. But Son of Fox decides to play another character. He doesn't play his main, which at the time period was Aaron Black. He decided to play Katana. And Katana was such a bad situation for him that he was getting flawless victories and even getting brutalities in the majority of the fights he was going through. This became so brutal. This became such a wash. This became such a waterboarding moment that they didn't even call him Perfect Legend throughout it. They were calling him Carl. It was so bad they started calling him by his government. They're like, Carl, Carl, Carl. I'm like, you know it's bad when they just they just, they just dropped all the <laughs> they dropped everything. It was just like you can't go out like hey. this. So not only did these fights get so terrible that they actually got up to ten wins, um one hundred percent on Sonic Fox's side of the Madden Bind You, and he had completely demolished him, not even getting him one win. He had gotten around in some instances, but a win on his board, absolutely nothing. So, after that had occurred, Sonic Fox told him that he would tell him, he would get him to shut up. He would put, make him eat his own words. And champion in that moment, he everyone basically celebrated Sonic Fox's win. But hold on now. You see, sometimes with humiliation comes a development for kinks. Masochism was on the plate for a man perfect legend here. His excuse... He had stated at this moment was, well, I was um, ready to fight your Aaron Black. I didn't come here to fight your Katana. So they set up another match. That statement alone, he decided to go against him the first of three. And uh, he lost all three rounds. Every single one. Every single one he lost. <laughs> and only to Yeah, and mind you, this is hey, after wait, here he went 0 and 10, Black. where Legend lost 10 games in a row against this dude. Yeah, that's just embarrassing at that it's, point. It's, it's legendary. I feel bad because I see that dude on Twitter, and even now, there's still people who type under in the comment section, you know, 13 and 0, 13 and 0 for him, where he just got no washed. I'm like, oh, jeez. Now you got no excuse. Now, <laughs> what's the excuse now? What's the excuse for you losing three more times? Like, all right, yeah. Me personally, <laughs> yeah, like, nah, he needed to retire after that. He was done. Like, if that was me, I don't know. I wouldn't have tolerated that. I would have, I would have called a hit on him. Just a little bit of uh, he would have got a little delivery in the mail, if you know what I mean. Let's just, you know, in Minecraft, that's what would happen, basically. My most legendary line from this entire thing was like, that's just saying, if that was me, I wouldn't have taken that disrespect. It doesn't mean I was defeated. Yeah, R.I.P. Ted. Yeah. 
Ed's had a reality breaking lose. Just, just he had to, he had to stop apostolating. Nah, you were defeated. You were your career ended. Like it, it was over. Like yes, yes, yes. Are you familiar with? The- are you familiar with a gentleman on um, Super Smash Bros. called Hungry Box? Someone brought a crab, a literal crab, in a tournament while he was on stage in the middle of a game and threw a crab at him. Like just full on, like a little big crab just chucked it at him from the audience at him. To me, I'm just. Baffled. You can look it up on YouTube. There's literally a video of him just, you know, locked in playing, and then you see this little reddish orange tint fly across the screen. He looks down, astonished, and picks it up. He has a crab in his hands, and he's like cussing out the audience. He had the gods to get as far. This is my thing. Someone really brought a cold crab and like cooked and all, and just decided. No, it was dirty as hell, but it worked. I don't blame him. Where did you get this, sir? What did you? <laughs> well, I bet wasn't even cooked. That was raw. It was it was just a dead crap. <laughs> Thought that was evil. Um, really quick, out of the games coming out in the future, we have Mortal Kombat One, absolutely Tekken Eight. Yes. We just had Street Fighter Six drop, to be a fan. Um, and it's rumored that a new really Soul Calibur, I think Seven's going to be coming out. Been, um, so, like fighting games, I would argue are in their golden age right now. This is like peak the barbecue. You know, when everybody is just trying to play video games for recreational purposes, that's me. I'm the sweat that comes out of nowhere and makes it fun for nobody. Just with the level. <laughs> Exactly. No, no self-esteem wins. No self-esteem points. Got, gotta, you gotta earn. Those oh yeah, points. yeah. I will make it fun. I never. I was the type of big brother that I never let him win. Not a. Nah. I'm like, you want to win, you gotta earn it. <laughs> Just crush the toughness. <laughs> Jeez. No, I kind of caught back on the bit me in the ass because these newer games, like. I don't understand them at all. Like, it's so mechanically fast. I'm not talking about fighting games. I'm talking about, like, shooters, like, new Call of Duties and shit like that. Like, here's a perfect prime example. Halo. I've always been a very big Halo fan. I love the lore. I love the video games. I legendaried every single fucking level on Halo. I, I can't lasso. My dick isn't that big. Sorry. No, I get what you mean. No, but, what you mean. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so, I'm... One, two, and three, although they're different games that have slightly different change, is the same mechanical game, if that makes any sense. Four was a lit a little bit different. It was a bit of a tweak, but it was still playable. But once I hit five, like all my skills did not translate over. It was like a whole different genre of a game. It wasn't Halo anymore. So you had these young kids, you know, all the Fortnite kids and shit like that that, um, that do nothing but stay home all day and play video games eight hours a day. Just absolutely just, uh, shatter, just shatter, yeah, and I'm like, all right, I can't do anything. I just, I can't, and game, that's what really killed it for me. Like entities that, like, it almost is like 
meeting somewhere that's in the it's Predazoa era and then coming back into seeing like a fully evolved society. Um, in playing Mortal Kombat uh, X, one of the most nightmarish things to ever encounter is a Liu Kang who's doing the yin Ye variation. It was just like, uh, all right, all right. So I, I just don't land. I just don't land. I don't get to play the game. I, uh, I just have to suffer. I have to suffer some clock um, tower orange in the corner right now. Just uh. I'm yeah, you get to watch your characters get juggled. But, what was I going to say? Um, I just blanked. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, think the, I'm thinking about wrapping up really at 12 is, um, tonight. So, uh, I think, you know, really, I think, yeah, I, I just wanted to go into, like, you know, talk more of the podcast. Like, what, really whatever, is, what are our uh, visions for the future? Think, what do we want to do with this? In any sickness, like, a flu that exists within society, there needs to be a checkup. A good evaluation or ability to see where people are grounded at in any given time, because to remedy something, you gotta really have an idea of where everyone stands. And I think that having guests in the way that you can cultivate them, and the way you can collect individuals, really helps. Uh, uh, um, really helps the discourse, and for people to see where they're at. And I think, from my personal opinion, I think a resurgence. And a podcast like this really helps people not only take people's political beliefs, but also the way we talk about like just games, recreational, like entertainment. That nature really helps humanitize people because there's two factors that really hurts people's ability to um, sympathize and even come to agreement um, in discourse. The inability to see people as uh, human beings to almost um, like mystify them in the nature. Like, like, um, like leftists are, are not are not um, working for the poor. They're they're, they're trying to destroy um, society and humanity in a way of like basically creating this conversion of society to be estrogen mandated. Or conservatives aren't truly those of uh, the political body of like virtuous like religious austerity or. The devotion to God that they're actually just using as a proxy for um, virtuous natures and to decry other people while um, berating them in a way that is akin to fortune while holding more superiority. I think that with these uh, with the Overton window, often um, creating um, epicenters where people can have the most friends and extreme opinions. I think a sit down of something in the nature of uh, Solar's radio really like really puts to bed a lot of misconceptions and I think a resurgence of the compassion that people have for their political beliefs and the good intentions that they prescribe to when a spouse's beliefs is really necessary in discourse. Or at the very least, humanizing people so we have a better understanding as to where they're coming from could lead to that as well. So that's why I think... Hey, this ain't, ain't solar radio. This is Requiem Radio. This is me and you. This isn't my show, man. Like, <laughs> I, like I honestly don't think I'd be, ever be able to if it wasn't for you helping me. I, I'm just not going to hold in conversation like that. And I'm like, all right. 
it'd be nice to get someone to help balance it out. But I've honestly like it was a blessing to have you be able to help out. Um, reiterate the question. I'm interested in terms of the large scale of like what you do in sometimes group chats or the debates you have. Um, what do you see Wrecking Radio doing on a larger scale as like what would you want it to be in service of in terms of like the discourse or just entertainment and um, something people can just digest uh, while doing like frivolous or like very um, essential activities? What would you want that to what would you want the ultimate um, cause or what you would want my goal is i want to provide something that is entertaining and that i could look back proudly and say like yes this is my work and something that i take pride in i would like to have a good mix between you know chill funny conversations like what we're having now just joking about like tech and stuff to us actually talking about serious issues in different episodes in the future like i don't want it to be one of those podcasts where it's always serious gloom and doom I don't want it to be one of those podcasts that are like, you know, toxic positive positivity. Everything's just good, you know, sunshine and rainbows. Because let's be real, it's not. Like, society isn't doing as good as it should. But I feel like we're not as far gone where we can't engage in, like, productive dialogue and conversation with each other on certain issues. So, yeah, if you're going to ask me, I'd definitely say a blend. I want it to be, you know, fun entertainment. And enjoyable. I wanted to be something people could tune in and listen to, have some laughs at, or you know, just having it in the background, listening to at work or something, something they could enjoy. But most of all, just like I said, I want I want it to be a product that I am proud in, basically, because like I do see this as my brainchild, and I do see you also as being like a major contributor in helping to this and like helping me pull this through and make it a reality. And like I said earlier, I cannot thank you enough for helping me on that, but. I just want, yeah, that's my main vision. I just want it. I want to get cool people on. I want to get fun people who's enjoyable, very knowledgeable on certain topics to give us in viewpoint perspective. That's that's really all I want. Like you know, I want it to be like an ever growing thing. But commendable, truly. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I. Uh flattered by the offer to uh, be a collaboration partner on this um and even as you reached out to me i was like oh dope dude definitely because i thought because we have really good conversations but to like be to do something in collaboration yeah i saw it was a leap of faith because honestly i was just sitting there thinking like he's probably gonna think i'm crazy like he's gonna be like really like that's it i'm like yeah man just why not like i don't know you only live once and i want to be able to have something like i didn't know this is gonna sound silly but I want to have something where once I'm long and gone, like maybe like my great grandchildren could look back and listen to this and be like, oh, you know, that's great grandpa solo or something like that, you know, anything like that. But hey, just in case that happened, shout out to my future children and grandchildren. You guys are awesome. <laughs> just say that now. <laughs> oh, shout out no, to I being a future genetic dead end. Uh, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody just put someone black and white tents over the video and said, It plays, not like R- R- it plays the R&B music you see at the end of those movies. Like, and he won't know his choices that he's gonna make. I'm like, oh, hell no. They got the R&B track on this shit. Yeah, the gospel. Not the gospel. Friday is a dope movie. I love Friday so much. Oh, jeez. 
Friday is an amazing movie. It's uh, it's actually like one of those movies. Um, even being in proximity to like black. The Boondocks is definitely something that got me to appreciate a lot of black culture and stuff like that. That I found the Boondocks is just so funny to me. I don't know why. Like, and I remember what's it talking about in the space once, and someone's like, um. You shouldn't be watching that show. You're not of African descent. And I'm like, damn, that's crazy. So anyway, the boondocks, that is what I'll talk about. I gave zero folks like some random Karen says like, yeah, I'm just appreciating a beautiful piece of media that I find funny as hell. And it's relatable in so many letterables and different things. But You're right. Um, I honestly don't think you should be watching the Boondocks. Uh, I'll make sure to like, only if you wear dashiki while doing so. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, willing to order you one uh, straight off the net and make sure you're wearing. Oh my gosh! Have you seen some, um? Some what's it? Is it Afro Samurai? Have you ever seen that show? Um, I've watched some of the early episodes, but it's such a good show. I have, I don't know what it is. I have this particular. Um, mannerism, whereas um, yeah, if I fair. really enjoy a show, I don't want to finish it because for some reason, even no matter how good a show is, um, after I finish it, I feel no like I, I, um, some of my favorite shows I have not returned to them in over five years. Like, if I if I watch something and I really enjoy it, I don't want to rewatch it, I just want to kind of have like that. Um, I, I, oh, I feel no, no purpose of doing so. It's the same thing with video games. If I love a game really a lot, I try to not finish the like last level because for some reason in my brain, as soon as I do so, I feel no interest or entry to like return to the game. Yeah, I get I that. Um, I've, I learned that lesson way with Brett. That's one of my all-time favorite shows. And I remember re-watching it recently and I was like, I think the second season where he started getting money and there was like a whole scene of him driving around a Mustang. It had the most shitty dubstep music blasting. And I was like, oh, that was a trendy thing that did not age well. <laughs> but... I, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's peak, I it's peak fiction. Bad. It's up there. Oh, God. I love how this show did such a great job of, um, for, for most who don't understand Breaking Bad, it's, it's just basically like, um, I love the, the how they got to the point of like um, um, Walter White like at at at, at his fundamental basis. Yeah, you saw that the very first episode too, where there was the a bunch of like he's messing with his um, son that's crippled, and he comes to the ground, steps on them, is like like how do you like it? And I was like before he was quote unquote Heisenberg, his ultimate alternate personality, basically. But he's always had that little flair in him, basically. It's a really phenomenal show. I'd recommend anyone watch it. Like, the man was dealing with cancer, and he was going to be financially secured by a friend who, granted, had basically stolen from him. But what ruined it for him was this idea that he's being saved. Like, his his wife had told him about everything, and he felt humiliated. He's like, I'd rather would just work on the cancer myself and work on like financially supporting myself than to ever ask for a handout. Like this spoke down to his like narcissism, but also to like how being wrong in such a nature like really affected him. But also my favorite line from the original OG series is <laughs> fuck Yeah, you. he had the bushy and eyebrows, the Indian worker guy. <laughs> oh jeez. 
I just love the fact that the guy was just like, what do my eyebrows do? He looked, looked more offended by the fact that he pointed out his eyebrows specifically. He was like... I, yeah, that's a phenomenal too. show. I like that. I liked El Camino, and I just recently finished Better Call Saul. They're all three like phenomenal. I saw a scene from Better Call Saul where a guy gets completely just demolished um, when they tell him he needs to leave, and he's like, "Okay, let's talk." Like that scene was so insane. It perfectly wraps yeah, and ties in the story. I, if you haven't seen it yet, I'd highly recommend you watch Better Call Saul. Like they put the last season on Netflix. Yeah, I recently finished uh, Breaking Bad, so I, I I sometimes try to like uh, give myself a little bit of space in between the shows because some for some reason when a show is created as a like offspring of some show, I have this obsession with comparisons or iterations different shows, but I try to keep those things separate to just watch them as their own separate thing. But um, one thing I thought was kind of interesting about Breaking Bad as well, there's just so many quotables from the first season when he's like, "Oh, and why is he's, he said you see these two things." And these conduct what? Fire. Oh, yeah, magnets, bitch. Has to be my favorite line. Yeah, magnets, bitch. Like, oh, no. Yes, yo. I am am Walter White's wife. Oh, my gosh. I remember seeing, like, this clip of, like, uh, Jesse Penguin being interviewed. Um, I forgot the actor's name off the top of my head. But he's like, yeah, I was in the airport. And some random dude like bumped my shoulder, and I turned around. And he looked like really excited. He's like, "Hey, I'm sorry. I know you're in a rush. You're busy, but can you Facetime my wife really quick and call her a bitch?" And I was like, oh, "Bro, ain't no way!" Like, and then he was like, "Um, sure." And then his wife calls like, "Hey, bitch!" And the wife's like, "Oh my god, he's Jesse Pinkman!" And I was like, "Oh no!" Like. You know what's funny as hell in terms of celebrities meet up? Um, uh, I'm not yet. Power. So my my father does like security for like a big like like casino and all that. So he usually has to get guests through the back entrance all right. and all that. So there's this character named Ghost who's like um, really much like the, like the the intrigue of the entire show, like the main character. Um, it was so interesting how like my dad said. This man walked up to him and had his hat over his, um, just basically his hat, so over his head that you couldn't see his face. Only to see that it was the main character from Ghost, and like, and um, the guy who was with him was from the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Batista. I was like, Let's go. I could have. I I wouldn't have. They couldn't hire me for for for. for for rest for, for security, I would never shut the fuck up. Yeah, he couldn't. <laughs> no, it's funny. Um, I'm around Georgia, so a lot of times Georgia's nicknamed the Hollywood of the East because we do a lot of tax cuts for movie um studios and companies because California, being California, has a bunch of taxes on literally everything. So all these like Hollywood studios, like yeah, I'm gonna go to Georgia where they don't tax the holy hell out of us, and plus it got like actual good land and like there we go film at so. Like, it's interesting because sometimes I'll be watching a show. Like, I had to watch, I started watching The Walking Dead, like, recently. And my first time seeing it, mind you. And I just was like, yeah, I'll watch it when I fin- when the show finishes. And I see, like, Marietta Street. I see these areas like that in the show. I see, like, certain, like, you know, I guess ravines and trees and shit like that. Like, certain formations. I'm like, oh, I could give you a ballpark guess where it says. Or sometimes I flap, like, yeah, I know where that is. 
Like I've been to that very location before. Like I stood where they stood. Like, and it's just so surreal because like they filmed in like I think, I think was it 2008 they're filming The Walking Dead. Like they first started. Yeah, and it's like yeah. so surreal. Like wow, I've actually been to that spot before. Like, and same for the Hunger Games. There's a portion of the Hunger Games that a lot of it any woods scenes you find they film in Georgia, and I'm like, huh, interesting. So I'll just be in Georgia and like, you know, let's say there's a hiking trail and I'll see a location where they actually filmed at, like, you know, scenes of the Hunger Games, but <laughs> my all time favorite. Was, yeah, that was really creepy and surreal at the same time. Like, huh? Like, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, Katniss Everdeen is at the same spot I was. Like, that's really interesting. But my fun <laughs> No, you're good. My favorite one of all though was that I was at work and my father, he works for he worked for a railroad company, and he ended up saying like, "Hey guys, the does anyone know who this is?" He took a picture of a chair and it said Robert Downey Jr. on it, and his company he was working with was filming the scene where everyone's racing through the city. It's like a little you know shanty town. They filmed that at the railway there, and it was just all the cast for um, Avengers: Civil War there. And then he's like. I was like, are you serious? He doesn't know anything about Marvel. He doesn't, like, watch movies or anything. He's like, hey, is this guy famous? I'm like, yeah, I think he's pretty famous. Highest paying actor, like, out there. But. Hey, we should be wrapping up our first episode, though. What do you think? I think um, what's going to happen is uh, they're going to find your house. Uh, as soon as they hear... Um, uh, my takes on uh, you know Davidicus. Uh, they're gonna find my house. They're gonna string me up. Oh, well, you got takes on Davidicus as well. No, I said Davidicus. Oh no, I thought you said Davidicus. I was about to say, oh, interesting. I was like, oh, I was like, the Cuban in me, my ears pulled up. I was like, oh, slandering Dominicans. I see. This is an interesting conversation. Yeah. I, I got the Norman Osborne take. I got the uh, I got the Osborne take. You know, how, how, who's going to clean your toilet? <laughs> who's going to clean your toilets in a sense? Oh god. The fa- the fact that the follow up to that statement of who's going to clean your toilets and then say in a sense, there's, yeah, there's no, no you, saving you, that. You, you, you just got to let that one. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump kicks out all the Spanish people. Who's going to clean your toilets? I'm like, you think all we do is clean toilets, woman? Like, oh. And she paused too. Like, she, like this is how you know that she came from a place of like a very privileged place in the sense that she had no upbringing around anyone else, and like around her very like lucrative and like um, philanthropist friends. This was like a very like oh yeah speak queen thing to say, but like people who are on the ground who are, like in reality, you just said that like, huh. I don't know how you did it, but you ended up sounding a little yeah. bit oh, more racist than Donald Trump and I'm like, I don't know how you did it, but it's, it's Hey, really quick before we close up the podcast for our first episode, I was thinking to do this for guests. Yes. If they are okay and consensual with this, I was thinking about doing a little ribbing where at the end of each episode, once we interviewed them, I would say like, hey, before you go, I have, you know, some questions for you from some of your tweets or some of your XYZ, like your posts or your takes. Uh wondering though if you elaborate them on them or you know, like say your opinion. And when they agree, I'll just be like, okay. 
and I'll completely make the most batshit insane like take and say like that was something you said like okay so you tweeted here I like it when X does X to X and you're like wait what no I never said that and I'm like oh okay okay yeah um in denial next question and then I'll just go like that and just rip the <laughs> just start just start yeah I'll be like <laughs> I'm like oh so Hazy dialect. What does it mean here when you say I only like them snow bunnies? Period. 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 Did you fall asleep when you tweeted this? And then you'd be like, "Well, bro, I didn't say that shit." I'm like, "Oh, okay." It's like very, very uh, interesting. Um, uh, next question. It was really reliable sources we got here. <laughs> like, I don't even give you time to defend yourself. as hopped to the very next. Like, just to, like fuck up. Them. It's just the most like. Didn't they say you punch a teacher like, at an early age? I had never done that. Yeah. And it's, it's it's the most incredulous. Yeah. Well, all right, it's like, like, it's like the most condescending. Like I don't believe you, but next question, be like, uh, I here, um, on a tweet, you once punched a retarded child. Do you want to comment on that? And then they're like, wait, what? No, I'm like, oh, yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, next question. Then just like just to mess with them. All right, then I guess. I mean, all right, but uh, anyway, next question. Uh, <laughs> just a fuck up. <laughs> I, know, I thought that'd be funny to add on, and got some people. Oh, yeah, actually, just to do a little trolling, you know, the segment. Yeah, like at the end, just to do a little trolling, break the ice. But, um, is there any closing comments you want to add in, or anything else you want to touch on? Um, follow me on YouTube as uh, always. Um, I'm always in the fog. I appreciate you guys for listening again. Um, to the first episode of Working Room Radio, and uh, I'll leave you off to uh, so hell yeah, and likewise, I have a YouTube channel as well where I publish and host all my debates. And we're probably going to be having this podcast up on the Apple Store and or sorry, iTunes, and then maybe we'll have it on Spotify in the future. But that's us seeing hey, where the road takes us. But I hope you guys enjoyed the first episode.